This is Jason Albert, and you're listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. Yes, it's been a while since we've posted a new episode, and as we start to ramp up a new season of interviews, we decided to talk with 21-year-old Swedish biathlete Sebastian Samuelsson. If you follow the sport or simply tuned into the Pyeongchang Olympics, it was hard not to notice the young Swede in his bright yellow lycra as he burst onto the scene with a silver medal in the pursuit and a gold in the men's relay. Up to that point in Korea, Samuelson had yet to step on an individual IBU World Cup podium. Given the stage and given his young age, it remains an incredible feat. This January, Samuelson also caught our attention in a series of open letters to WADA's chair of its Compliance Review Committee, stating the case for redeclaring RUSADA as non-compliant. Uh, we'll link to those letters on the website. Anyhow, we caught up with Samuelson on February 8th at his home in Sweden while he was preparing for the upcoming IBU World Championships to talk about his new life as an Olympic medalist and his work as an anti-doping advocate. We'll start the interview off learning how Samuelson was exposed to biathlon as a nine-year-old. As you came up in the sport, um, what were your opportunities for biathlon? Because we often think of Sweden as primarily, it's like they do cross-country and cross-country only. Well, yes, I think that's... Uh... A good view you have, but I also think that we have had uh, stars in Sweden before, like, I, of course, Quindalena Forsberg, and then Helena Ekholm, Björn Ferry, and these guys. And I think not so many people do biathlon in Sweden because we don't have that many uh, shooting ranges that we should have. And, um, yeah, I think if you grow up in a place where you have this shooting range and you do cross-country skiing, then it's natural that you also try biathlon. And that was uh, that was how it was for me. So, yeah, basically it was cross country skiing was maybe the thing I started with, and so that's my main sport. But then it was the Swedish Championship in Slefty where I lived, and uh, I watched the biathlon Swedish Championships and was interested. And uh, and the club there had a had a. Um, Try try biathlon evening and um, I tried and thought it was funny, but I was a really bad shooter and and uh, uh, so in the beginning it was mainly because if I do biathlon then I could train two more evenings cross country skiing. So, but then it went on and uh, I started to think that biathlon was more fun and uh, and then it just went like that. How, how old were you when you saw those uh, biathlon championships in your hometown? This I was nine, actually. So oh, okay. it was it was quite early. Uh, so I think I had done cross country skiing maybe one one year before I started cross country skiing, and uh, yeah. You know, here in the U.S., I'm sure you are familiar with some of the U.S. athletes, but many of them learn to shoot. After college, you know, I think of like Susan Dunkley, Claire Egan, Joanne Reed on the women's side. Um, you know, the model has been identifying strong cross-country skiers and then giving them the structure to learn how to shoot. 
for you, I'm assuming that, you know, after nine, um, as you progressed up both training in cross country and biathlon that you were doing both on a week, on a daily or weekly basis. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And uh, I, I see similarities with what you say about the U.S. women's team. I think it was more like this in Sweden before. Madrena Forsberg is an example of that. Bjorn Ferry is an example of that. But I think now it's changing a lot. And more and more people start to do biathlon uh, like I when I was 9 or 10 years old. Like from a media standpoint in... Sweden, you know, off the top of my head, there's obviously Charlotte Kala, there's Stina Nielsen, Ebba Anderson, you know, like these real, you know, Ebba's an emerging superstar. Charlotte is a, a superstar there, I presume. What what has been, I guess, prior to Pyeongchang, what type of media coverage did athletes like you or other biathletes get, you know, within Sweden itself? Well, cross-country has always been the bigger sport, as you said before. And But biathlon has always been very popular, and especially for people that maybe are not so interested in sport in general, but they think they can watch biathlon. Uh, and you have this, in Sweden we have this um, award that once a year the people can vote and uh, who is the most popular athlete. And Madalena Forsberg is the one who won this the most time. Helena Ekema won it. And now this year it was actually Hannah Oberg. So I think when the results are good in biathlon, then the coverage is similar like cross-country skiing. Uh, but of course, after the... the ah, before the... After the Sochi Olympics, when we had no really top athletes, then then it was going down with the media coverage. Okay. And I, I just, and I remember, so Hannah is also quite young. She's 23. It looks like. Yes. Correct? Yes. Correct. And, um, you know, again, comparing to the United States where we have more mature athletes, is there pressure on, you know, you're 21, she's 23 to ensure that, you know, biathlon stays front and center or viable in a place like Sweden. Do you feel any pressure on your shoulders? Well, I, I have to say that I feel more pressure now than I did one year ago before the the Olympics in Pyeongchang. Because before Pyeongchang, then we were not so well known and and you you had to be really interested in biathlon to knew our names in this. Uh, but of course, when we have made such a good Olympics, then then suddenly everybody knows you, and and a lot of people want good results now, and especially now when we will have the uh, World Championships here in Östersund at home. So you you really feel that the the attention and the pressure gets more and more with good results. I can't imagine being 21 and sort of being in the spotlight, but what type of how do you deal with that like what structures did you put in place maybe after pyeongchang to make sure that you could still be a regular dude and be an athlete and kind of stay true to yourself like yeah i'm just curious how you handled that and what you do to handle that yeah that's a good question i i, I remember when i was in the changing room 
uh, after my pursuit in Pyeongchang where, where I took a silver and I, I hadn't done the mix zone or the press conference yet and then I thought to myself that oh shit I hope this was something I really wanted because now I have to do this because now people will recognize me and I had to do this interview and this interview uh, but actually I think it's really fun I think it's fun to talk with people I, I like being interviewed and and then you, then you. The important thing to remember, I think, is that you. It depends on which time of the year it is. I mean, now it's just some weeks before the World Championships, and then you don't want to do so much media because you want to really focus on, on your performance and. And but then uh, during the other times of the year, maybe it's easier with uh, training or stuff like this then it's easier to do interviews but I don't really feel that there is so high demand that it's it's uh, too much not yet uh, but but of course in the beginning as an athlete and you got uh, you got um, a question for an interview then you was maybe really interested and yes 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 to everything and now maybe you're a little bit more selective on what things you you do. Who do you look for from an you know as an athlete? What other athletes do you look for for advice in terms of how to stay healthy? You know, you're you're young. You know, stay healthy and focus for say another decade. Well, then, then I guess I have to say Martin Foucault, he has been so consistent over so many years. Uh, now maybe he has a, a, a season that is not going his way, but he's still number two in the total World Cup. So, yeah, I would say you inspire a lot of him. And other than that, I try to be as open-minded I can and to have so much input I can from so many different people because I really believe that... Every person on the World Cup level has something they do really good. And if you can take what that person do really good and then go to the next person, what he does really good. And if you can combine this, then you will <laughs> will be really good yourself. What would you say are, what would be your one strength or, or some of your strengths that, you know, you could advise an athlete on and what, what do you perceive as a, a weakness? Well, wow, um, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I think one of my strengths is that I I'm hardworking. I, I I never give up. I really it doesn't matter how the weather is in the training or I want to do the best work possible every day. Uh, and this is something I try to bring in our team and and from my side that I think I do really good. Uh, the weakness I think. Well, I think I'm not so consistent, but I think also that that is why I'm so young still. I need more years to to train and to be in this circuit to get this toughness you need to be performing really well in many races over a whole season. Uh, yeah. I am curious, like, did you, at what point did you kind of go, you know, move away from home and start training full time? How young were you? And and was that just sort of a ski gymnasium that you moved to? Yeah, actually, I 
I went to uh, a biathlon gymnasium, as you said, uh, but I did it in Sollefteå, where I lived at that time, so I could still stay at home, and uh, my, my mother helped me with food and uh, the laundry and this stuff, you know. Uh, and you start that when you are 16, I think, and then it's just... I, I think I must have quit there when I was 19, and... Uh, then I was one year at home, but only training, and I didn't do anything else. Uh, and after that, when I was 20, I moved to, to a station where I live now. And okay. so since, yeah. since I stopped school, then I've done this full-time. Uh, and I think that's, <laughs> that's a really privilege you have to... I mean, there are a lot of people that want to do sports full-time and have not don't have to study or take a job or anything that can just give 100%. And that is something I, I should really be, be happy that I am able to do. I sometimes, I mean, as a younger person, do you feel like you're able to keep perspective and like recognize that most days? Like, holy crap, I am pretty lucky. Well, I, I think that you actively have to remind yourself about this part, because if I go back I, I can go back only five years. Then this was my dream to be able to be a World Cup athlete, do this full time and all this stuff. Uh, but it's hard sometimes to appreciate it when you're in it. So I think you really have to think about that sometimes uh, to really feel that shit, I'm I'm living my dream. Yeah, right. I can imagine. Um, and how, you know, I think part of what comes with the package of winning a silver medal and you won a gold as well in the relay um, is that you're now looked up to by kids and also 21 year olds make mistakes, right? Everybody makes mistakes um, and we learn, but I'm curious, do you feel like, um, or what is it like now to be recognized probably by kids everywhere in Sweden and for them to kind of look to you as a role model? Yeah, that, that's a strange feeling, I have to say. And that is maybe one of the things I don't feel that I'm really used to yet. You are still surprised when when someone stops you in the street and they recognize you, and especially when it's kids. And I think that's most fun when I don't know, kids in the area, I go out and, and they see me and they ask me, oh, biathlon, how is that? And, and this kind of stuff. Then it's, I think that's really nice and really fun. And, and But it's also something strange because I, I am just me and I don't see myself as a role model in that kind of way. Even though, of course, I try to think in what way I behave, especially in media and this kind of situations, because I know that people will recognize me. Let's switch topics a little bit, but it, it relates to this role model piece. And so we all know that, you know, there's, there was state sponsored doping in Russia. We all know since 2014, there's been several reports, investigations, revelations about doping in sport. And, um, and we've also, at least at our publication have been, you know, we follow the, the doping that occurs. 
the penalty phase and also the anti-doping movement very closely. And um, I've seen that. Yes. Yeah, and so December thirty first was, you know, the hard deadline that the WADA executive committee had set up for you know Rusada to hand over the Moscow lab data and underlying data and 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 in other information and there were other um, stipulations, but it was a hard deadline and they missed that deadline. And uh, not to say that I was surprised, but one of the things that caught my attention was that you uh, published an open letter, I believe on January 3rd, um, speaking on behalf of declaring Rusada and Russia as non-compliant. Um, and I think I have that accurate. Does that sound right so far? Yes. Yeah, that sounds correct. Yes. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, what at such a young age, what motivated you to take what I believe, you know, a necessary step, but a very bold public uh, stance uh, and addressing, um, I believe, the Compliance Review Committee, uh, Jonathan Taylor, directly. Yes. Well, I think... I think there is many thing that, things that led up to Yassi's letter because I think I have al- always been a critic to doping, of course. I want a clean sport like everybody should. And and I think most people do also. And I I have I, I mean I have been very active in Twitter and I remember being active in Twitter also before the Olympics in Pyeongchang. But then I didn't get any attention of, of what I was right, what I was writing because nobody cared about me. Uh, so then uh, during the Olympics, uh, it was a situation where the uh, this, it was a discussion about the World Cup finals in biathlon that year that was awarded to human and. The the board in IBU decided that the Tumor World Cup should be stayed as it was. And then I was writing in Twitter that I am disappointed. I don't think this is a good idea and this stuff. And then suddenly I got a lot of attention because this was maybe three days after my silver medal in Pyeongchang. And then I was shocked and I didn't expect that attention that I got. And... I got a lot of positive uh, reactions, mostly from, I mean, people in Sweden, but also a lot of negative reactions from Russian people. And and I was kind of thrown into the this fight in, that I had done before, but now it was more fi- more publicly. What do you say, publicly? Ah, you understand me. <laughs> uh, oh, publicly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes, okay. and and the, and the thing was that I had directly need to put up with this hate and this shitty comments you get in uh, Instagram, for example. And in the beginning, you you get shocked and uh, surprised, but then it goes on, and you see that this is this is some people' opinions, but it doesn't matter for me because I can still raise my own opinion. So. After a while, what was my point is that I had understand that now it doesn't matter what I say anymore. If if I try to be diplomatic and not not too hard, 
then I get shit from uh, from these Russian people and and the critics. So then I can speak my mind freely. I feel because I, we get shit anyway. Do you understand what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I I do. That yeah. So that's why I think writing a letter was not. It was not such a big step because I knew if I write a letter, then it will be a lot of people that doesn't think this is good, but it will also be a people who appreciates this. And it doesn't matter if I just put a simple tweet about this or if I go the whole way because the reactions will be be the same. So then I can, then it's more sane to myself to really say what I think, and that's why uh, I think this letter was. Yeah, easy for me to write. You know, as a 21-year-old, when you step onto the starting line, do you feel that mostly it is a clean field that you're competing against? Well, I think I think that I I don't think that there is a, a level playing field that everybody is competing clean. If I sit here at home now, then I, I can think that some people probably is cheating and I probably compete against these people. But when I go to the start line, then it's it's nothing you think about because then you only think about your own performance and your own race and you want to do it as good as you can. And the people who are competing are competing and there is nothing I can do about that in that moment. So, yeah, I think there are cheaters, but that's nothing you think about out when you're racing. What is your belief in the power of the WADA athlete committee to make positive change? Yes, I think so. I think, as I, I, I have to say, I'm disappointed in the way the athlete committee has been treated and the way I think they have had uh, less impact than they should have had. But I also think it's important that the athlete committee is there and that they continue to put pressure on on the people who on the sports leaders who who make this all these decisions because if we are just quiet then it will be so easy for them to to continue to make these bad choices over and over again do you have do you believe that you know the changes the IBU is starting to make are going to be like real changes that will change biathlon culture you know, globally? I really hope so. I think, I mean, now we have a new president, but it's only since September, so it hasn't gone so much time. But my feeling is that they take this matter seriously now and that they really want to make a change. And I'm just hoping that it will be like this. And I think I think it goes in the right direction. So there's there's an interesting... I guess something that happens when you become outspoken, right? And so there, there's a couple of pathways to take. One is you remain on the outside of like the official government structure. Like for example, not, you're not on an athlete, the IBU athlete committee, you know, or say have a role with WADA or the IOC. You are still like an individual who people recognize and has you have the power to 
be outspoken on social media or, you know, posting an open letter like you've done on several occasions. Um, do you feel like you might be compelled to take on a different type of role where you become part of the government structure, if that makes sense? So you become an athlete rep or something like that. Yes, I understand. I, I think, I think, of course, it's you cannot always stand on the outside and just criticizing. You need to also have. I mean, solutions to what you're talking about. And I I was actually running for the uh, athletes committee when we for, for IBU when there was selection in the end of the last season. Uh, but I didn't get enough votes. So I think I want to be involved. And I, I discussed with Claire, for example, and, and these people because I think it's important to all to not only criticize, but to be part of the solution. Yes. And so you're not, that's interesting. I mean, you're not, you, you must, you must have parents that instilled some good, solid confidence in you. Cause I can imagine a lot of 20, you know, some t- just younger folks being a little overwhelmed first by being thrust onto the world stage and ex- media exposure. And then the whole other piece of, then navigating, you know, non-governmental body, NGB, sports, infrastructure, and politics. Do you think, I think those athletes serve four-year terms. Is that something you might um, put yourself up for nomination again or put yourself into the vote again? For the IBU Athletes Committee? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, I, I, I like I said, I want to be a part of this and a part of, uh, yeah, to, I mean, it's this question, but it's also other questions, but I, I want to be a part of helping biathlon uh, be this great sport because I really love biathlon and I, 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 I feel so much for, for the sports. Okay. So for people who are just learning about you and maybe do not follow the anti-doping movement, closely um you know how would you like people to access you know your your message you know whether it's social media i mean i'm just curious it's an opportunity for you to be like hey this is where i usually post my information uh, well I, in, in this kind of questions i would say i use my twitter account a lot i think that's that's where i put out this message about anti-doping and and have this kind of fight you know uh and then then i also have my instagram account but there it's mostly my everyday life as an athlete and maybe not so much uh i I would say political questions is maybe a wrong word because i don't see this as a political fight but yeah you you get my point um i really appreciate your time and yeah we look forward to you guys uh well reading more about you and Here's a question, actually, an easy one. Is Sweden still going to be yeah. in the bright yellow uniforms for world championships? Yes, we will be. So you will recognize us. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was the easiest thing. I'm like, there goes Sweden. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Have a good evening. The same to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nordic Nation. 